Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amen, amen. Church may grab your seats, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. And we're continuing our series, New View. So I know a lot of you have been working on a new you, but we're encouraging, maybe more impactful, and I take away the word maybe, definitely more impactful is a new view. And we're trying to get a right view of the life that God has given you for those followers of Jesus. And we started with the new view, uh, different things. And before we get there, for those note takers, you can title this sermon, Places. Places. Again, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14 here in a minute. But let me ask you this. What are some of the places you went this week and why? Went to work? Anyone? Anyone go to work this week? Yeah? Grocery store? School? All right. All right. How about recreation or vacation? Anybody go do any of that? Recreation, vacation? Y'all need to make priority, all right? You guys need to get some time off, do some self-care. But it's interesting, all these places we go, and we usually go for a primary purpose, and what I want us to see is that what if there was a greater purpose for the places you went other than the primary purpose that you went there for? What if there was a greater purpose for the places you go other than the primary purpose you went there for? That's what we're going to look at this morning. That's what I want us to continue to ask ourselves. All these places we go to, why? Other than the obvious. Grocery store to get groceries. I got it. Right? Work to get a paycheck. I'm with you. What if there's a greater purpose? Which leads us to 1 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14. It says this. For the love of Christ compels us. We're going to circle back to that quite a few times. For the love of Christ compels us since we have been, since we've reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we no longer know him in this way. Let's go pause there for a minute. And what we see is the love of Jesus compels us because of the love of Jesus changed us. That's really going to be the thrust of this whole time together. The love of Jesus compels us because the love of Jesus has changed us. Through the love of Jesus, we now have a new view, and this is what this series has been about. Power, purpose, prayer. Last week we talked about people, and today we're talking about places, a new view because of the love of Jesus who compels us. And the author is the Apostle Paul of 2 Corinthians writes this letter to the church in Corinth. And Paul was once known as Saul, who was a very influential religious leader. And we have this one passage that says a lot about Saul in Acts chapter 8, verse 3. It says this, it says, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He, entered, he would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. This is Saul, persecutor of the church, also known as the way. You'll see that commonly in the book of Acts. 
This Saul, he saw, number one, people as adversaries who didn't align with him, specifically those who belonged to the way, the church. Number two, he was living a life wrapped up in his own ways. And we see this, focused and fueled by his own feelings, pushed by his own passions, and even through the eyes of his emotions, he had a lot of enemies. Let's pause there for just a minute. I wonder how many of us can more often than we like to admit have similarities with Saul. Pushed by our own passions, fueled by our feelings, and have a lot more enemies than we probably need to. Third, what we know about Saul, and don't miss this, this is so important. He knew everything there was to know about Jesus. And yet, actively raged, persecuted against those who followed Jesus. Knew everything there was. He knew all that Jesus did. Knew about the miracle worker. Knew about the story that he raised from the dead, right? Knew that he was crucified. Knew all these things, stories about him. But what we need to know is that knowing about Jesus changes nothing. Knowing about Jesus changes nothing. The biggest fear I have for our church and churches across the landscape of the world is there's a lot of people sitting in churches this morning that know a lot about Jesus and don't know Jesus. Knowing about Jesus changes nothing. Nothing. So here's Saul, knew all about Jesus, and actively fought against him and his people. But then there was a place. A place that God used to change Saul. It was a road on the way of a place called Damascus. It's interesting, during this way, he was going to Damascus, again, to arrest followers of the way, and all of a sudden, a light shone, it says on Paul in Acts chapter 9. And he says, fall to the ground, hear a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is interesting. And Saul said, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He then replied, but get up and go into the city. So here, God speaks and blinds physically Saul and then tells him to go. And so God interrupts Saul's plans for a purpose in this place. But God also uses a person in a place, a person named Ananias. And so God sends Saul to this man named Ananias. And at the same time, God is calling Ananias to go to Saul. This is interesting because Ananias has some concerns when he hears this calling from the Lord to go and meet this man named Saul, the ravager and persecutor and murderer of the church. In Acts 9.13, it says, Lord, Ananias answered, right, after he receives this call, I have heard many many." I've heard from many people about this man, referencing Saul, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But then it says, the Lord said to him, go. Go. You're still going to this man named Saul. And God was calling Ananias to join him, join God, in the work that God was already doing in a man named Saul. All I ask I do is go and trust. But it's noteworthy here. What was Ananias' first response? Excuses. 
Like, did you hear it? Leg- excuses. And they were accurate and legitimate. Lord, I-, I hear you, but do you know who this person is? And you're, you're going to send me to him. I mean, they're accurate and legitimate excuses. But Ananias went to Saul and shared the message about Christ with him. And Saul believed and immediately was baptized. What we see here is Ananias compelled by the love of Christ, not thinking of himself, like we see in verse 15, saw the place as an opportunity, and Saul as a soul of eternity. I think we miss that sometimes. People are at stake. Eternity is approaching. And there is a place that you will spend all of eternity. But that shaped starts here, in the here and now. So just hypothetically, what if Ananias would have been more influenced by fear and comfort than the Holy Spirit? What would have happened? Well, I got three things I'm pretty convinced would have, not, would have happened. One, he would not have gone. Two, he would have missed the blessing of watching God work in the most miraculous conversion, arguably, in human history. And three, someone else would have went by faith and watched God do this movement that only he could do. So this is what I want us to think about, just for a minute. Again, this is going to be a theme through this morning. How many movements of God have you missed because you were more moved by fear over faith. Just think about that. How many times have you missed God move because you were more moved by fear over than faith? And I'd be concerned that maybe we don't even know it because we're so used to missing the movements of God. It's funny, when I ask people occasionally, what's God done in your life this week? Crickets. Like, we're so used to just going with the flow that we miss movements of God because we're so busy and we're going to each place with a specific purpose that's very much based on us. What we see is Saul, like Ananias, would now live a life compelled by the love of Christ, seeing people and places in a very new way. It's interesting, people as prisoners of war in the very real spiritual war we're faced in. He writes in 2 Timothy 2.26 about the trap of the devil and how all people that are, have been blinded, but he says, been taken captive to do the devil's will. There's a spiritual warfare that's going on that's a very real battle that's raging all around us. So he saw people as prisoners of war, but he also saw places where the battle rages. And so there's no passivity in his life, there's very much intentionality and replace he went with a purpose. So we see Saul was changed by the love of Jesus and compelled by his love for Jesus. Saul was a new person with a new view and a new name, which would become Paul that we see in Acts 13, 9. The Apostle Paul. Which leads us to verse 17. So all that... Verse 17 says, Therefore, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. 
Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God has, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Now, first, the question is, who's the us in this statement? It's us. Still is us. Y'all, me, us. And we mentioned this last week, but I want to mention it again because I think it's vitally important to see how God does things. We mentioned that he's in the, God's in the demolition and construction business. Do you remember this? I know you do because you guys take copious notes. I know that. That means he's not into redoing or remodeling like your favorite HGTV shows, but renewing, brand new. John, in talking to Nicodemus, the religious leader in John 3, says, you need to be born again. Well, how do you do that? Well, in John 3, 16, he says, for God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is born again. This is a new creation, brand new. The old is gone. The new has come because of your faith in Christ Jesus. And we see that in John 3.16, what is put in a slightly different way in 2 Corinthians 5.19. It says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And what we see here is Jesus' blood was adequate to cover all sins for all who would believe, but only apply to those who respond by faith. This is vitally important. Jesus' blood shed on the cross is adequate for everyone who respond by faith alone is applied to those who respond by faith alone. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, means it is finished, means paid in full. We talked about this before, but I think we need to talk about it again, that it is finished is tetelestai. They would stamp it on notes when bills were paid. The debt was paid. Tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. That's what he said on the cross, meaning everyone who responded to him by faith alone, that somehow, some way, I don't understand, but your blood on the cross counted for me, and I have forgiveness and new life in you by what you did and what I couldn't do. My debt's been paid. It is finished. Rescuing all who would believe from their active rebellion against God and bringing reconciliation. This is what we need to understand is the act of rejecting believing? Is Jesus... If you're actively rejecting believing that Jesus did what he did on the cross for you, this is called rebellion. Rebellion. Romans 8, verse 7 and 8. It says, the mindset of the flesh. And the flesh is all those who are carried by their own desires apart from Christ. It's hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That means outside of Christ, you cannot please God. And hostile against God. More directly, Romans 5.10 says, For if, while we were enemies... So when you're actively rebelling, you're an enemy against God. You're not just resisting, but you're actively opposing. 
if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? This is what Jesus did, reconciling, making right the relationship between us and God for all those who would believe. God has brought reconciliation to the rebel through a response of faith. In case you didn't miss it, the rebel was all of us at one point. All of us. And this is interesting because the context here is even pointing to someone like Saul. Even someone like Saul, who we know now as Paul, murderer turned missionary, enemy turned ally, selfish turned selfless. This is what compelled by love of Christ looks like. This is what experiencing God's love looks like. It changes you. But it's interesting, in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul writes this. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. That's so vital. Because on one hand, he knows who he used to be before Christ. He knows what Christ did and who he is now in Christ, but he still acknowledges this sin issue that I have. Which means there's no holier than thou in any church. At least there shouldn't be. We're all a bunch of sinners. Right? But God proved his own love for us. And while and yet we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's so important because if Saul can be saved, if Paul can have the life he did because of Christ, then so can you. And so can you. Even you, yes. Even you, you guys are some good folks, but yeah, even you, right? Like even that co-worker, can you believe it? That person in your class, like even that person, if Saul can be saved, anyone can. Your past is not your presence, and your failures are not your future. I'm going to say it again because this is where the, the enemy really gets in and drives a wedge in your life sometimes. Your past is not your present, and your failures are not your future if you're in Christ. He is the difference maker, the renewing agent in our lives. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that condemnation, again, is a building term for unfit for use. Those who are in Christ Jesus are now new, very much useful, and value. We talked about that last week. Invaluable. So when you start hearing the whispers and lies from the enemy, know where that comes from. That's not from the Lord. I mean, some of us hear it when we come into church on Sunday mornings. Right? Like, we hear the whispers really, remember that thing you did, and yet you're going to come in here and, and praise and sing? Right? Really, with that, those things that you were thinking or things you were watching, now you expect God to be okay with you singing to them? Well, one, that could be conviction saying there's some repenting needed. <coughs> but don't let it lead to condemnation. Those who are in Christ Jesus are not unfit for use. You are extremely valuable, cherished, and prized. And what it says here is that you've been reconciled to now be reconcilers, sent ones 
compelled by the love of Christ. Which leads us to verse 20. So all this we see another therefore. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God's making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God has reconciled you to himself by faith. Therefore, you are ambassadors of Christ. I, I miss this early in my faith walk. I didn't realize I really had a purpose outside of just knowing him. <coughs> it says, therefore, you are ambassadors for Christ. So think about this. Therefore, you're ambassadors for Christ because you've been reconciled. So think about this. The places you go, what are you there for? Right? Therefore, you're ambassadors for Christ. So the places you go, what are you there for? Your work is more than a paycheck. School is more than education. The grocery store is more than groceries. I'm going, planning to go to Buffalo Wild Wings today to watch some good football, Lord willing, right? Like all good Christians do. But I'm there for a bigger purpose than just to watch football. I wonder how many times we lose sight of that. What if we started viewing the place God has you with a special purpose God sent you there for? We need to start viewing the place God has us on purpose. God has placed you there for a purpose. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me ask you this. So we talk about places and purposes and people. Have you noticed that unbelievers are not flocking to churches? Is that just me? Have you noticed that? Like it's no longer the day where you put a sign out and some nice banners and people just, yes, I need to go to church. I mean, there's many Christians that aren't even going to church anymore. And we expect believers just to flock through the doors. Thank you. We need to know that. Because here we are, I think by and large, the church has not taken responsibility of the mission what it means to be ambassadors for Christ. What we see in Jesus, Jesus came to us to send us to them. It's interesting. You know, one of our, it's, it's a good thing. One of our key ways of evangelism, spiritual conversations, is by inviting someone to church, which is good. It's a good thing. But I think we get in the mindset of, I'm going to invite them to church and let the paid professional share the gospel. Right? You know that's not in the Bible. And think about when you invite them to church. I mean, I wonder if we're preparing them for church. If you invite someone to church, which, praise God, it's a good thing, be ready to meet them at the front door. Because we do some weird things in here. Have you noticed that? Some of you will be involved in church so much, it's become normal. We do some weird things. Like we're raising our hands, at least some of us. Like, who are you raising your hand to? You got a question? No, I'm good. 
Right? Praying, talking about saved and lost, and God's, we're singing about God's wrath. Right? Who does that? We're some weird folks. But yet we're inviting people. So, man, invite them for sure. But meet them, walk with them. It's relational. But be reminded that God didn't say, you know what? The Great Commission, go, therefore, to all nations and invite them to church. It's a personal responsibility that God's given each of us as followers have been reconciled to be reconcilers, to be ambassadors. Acts 1.8 says, Jesus tells them before he's ascended, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is what witnesses do. Witnesses share about what they saw, right? Keep that in mind. Witnesses share about what they saw. Mark 16, 15, Jesus says, go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Not go into all the world and invite people to church so they can hear the pastor preach the gospel to all creation. It's not what it says. We, us, I, me, you, all of us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We know the Great Commission, Lord willing, because we say every single Sunday before we leave here, Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then we see this word going, it's as you go. Now, we're going to Puerto Rico a couple times this year. Yes, yeah, definitely going, but that's not to the extent. It's as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to the grocery store, as you go to Wong's Tacos, personal favorite, as you go to Whole Foods, as you go, you're preaching the gospel. Well, I don't preach. It's teach. It's proclaim. It's tell people the good news about Jesus. And those who believe, disciple. And we do that by baptizing and teaching to obey. But this is not a command given to individual churches, but individual church members individually. So when we begin to see, I'm convinced, ourselves as ambassadors, it does, it changes how we view every person and every place. At least it should. Just a couple examples real quick. Peter, in Acts chapter 3, was on his way, him and John, to the temple to pray. Be like, you come to church this morning. When they came across a man, couldn't walk, begging for money. Be like, us coming to church, but you're running late, and I see that person with a flat tire, but I need to get to church. They could have walked past them like many other religious people did, but they stopped. They said, money, you know, I don't have silver or gold because I'm a preacher. I, I added that. I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. He took time to see a person in a place as an opportunity to show and act in God's kindness to point someone to the risen Lord. The church in Acts 8, again, persecution broke out in Jerusalem, and the church scatters, they run. But what do they do as they go in Acts 8, verse 4? It says, so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Every place they went. In Acts chapter 8 later, many of you know the account of Philip. And God just sends him to this Ethiopian eunuch being carried along, comes alongside his coach, and he says, what are you reading? 
Do you understand it? And here it was, this Ethiopian eunuch was reading a passage out of Isaiah. And so God sent Philip to this eunuch to a certain place to meet this person. And Philip goes, well, let me help you understand that. It says, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning with that scripture. So Philip was intentional about going to the place where God had him to talk to a person that God was already preparing to work in. And this eunuch believed, and then he said, where's the water? Compelled by love, I want to be baptized. We see Paul in Acts 16 looking for a place of prayer, and he comes and finds this lady named Lydia. Well, again, it's not coincidence. He proclaims the gospel. Lydia and her household believe, and they are baptized. So I beg the question, because proclaiming the gospel wasn't easy. They were heavily persecuted in the name of Jesus. And so why would they risk so much to tell their people about Jesus? They risked family, their life, imprisonment. Why would they risk so much? Well, number one, the love of Christ compelled them. It's interesting. Jesus showed them, number two, before he told them. So one, the love of Christ compelled them, but they also showed before they were told by Jesus himself. And we see this one account that's amazing. We can learn so much from is the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You guys remember this? John chapter 4, Jesus comes. They come into Samaria. Disciples go and do their thing. Jesus is there thirsty and asks this woman who comes in the middle of the day. She was outcasted by her community, socially outcasted. Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jewish people anyway. And Jesus asked for a drink of water. A simple question, but intentional. Broke down barriers with one question. In this place for a purpose. And her response is telling in John 4, 9. She says, how is it that you, Jew, ask a drink of water from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And when I see that passage, I wonder, how many people in our lives don't we associate with because of whatever stigma that may be out there? Or maybe you, don't disagree, you, agree, you agree or disagree with them in certain ways. Political views, like we don't associate with certain political parties. Or different lifestyle choices. It gets uncomfortable. People who aren't like me are uncomfortable to be around. I was thinking about this with the, you know, we, we pray that well, at one point, Jesus is going to return and call all his people home. And we see that every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, and people are standing before the throne worshiping God. And I long for that now in our churches. I long to see the way churches be a diverse group of people worshiping the one true God together. And we live in a very diverse community. But what's going to make that happen, what that's going to take is us to be sacrificial and going to people that aren't like us. That's what Jesus does with a Samaritan woman, someone that is not like him, social barriers all over the place being broken down. And he tells her the hope of the living water, right? This water will satisfy temporarily, but I got the living water. That's what some of us are chasing, the next thing that satisfies, the next thing, and it's satisfied for just a moment, but then there's more, longing for more, and it creates a hunger for more. And what we need to see is Jesus is the only thing that satisfies forever. It's not you put your trust and hope in finances, security, or future family, spouse. Those things may satisfy for a minute, but it's Jesus who satisfies forever. And that's what he points to this Samaritan woman. 
Yeah, you've had many husbands. I know that, he says. But then the power of reconciliation. Jesus tells her that he's the Messiah. After this conversation, says she leaves her water jug and rushes back into town to the people that don't like her, that she's outcasted from, and tell everyone about this Jesus. The love of Christ compelled her to go back into the place to be intentional, to share the hope that's in Christ that she now knows. So let's do all this. We say all this, and we have to start from the motives. We have to see why we do what we do. If I say, go and share the gospel, we're like, no, that's way, I'm not doing that. But when we start with the love of Christ, how could we not? The Christ reconciled you, even you, and he's working in those people, even those people to reconcile himself, but he's going to make that happen through you, proclaiming the gospel. So what do we do with that? As we go through our places, and we talked about a few, and we're going to go through this week, we're going to go to many more places. What if we stopped going places, dare I say, accidentally, which I know they're intentional, but accidentally, and what if we started frequently going the same place intentionally? Like if you work out, like for instance, okay, let's do this. I'm a member of a local gym. And I go there frequently on purpose. One, yeah, I want to stay in shape, but it's also my mission field. So I try to meet and share with as many people as I can in the gym. What a great opportunity, but I know it so people get to know you. I get to know them, remember names. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I go there intentionally. I go to a local coffee shop. Dare I say my office. The same one intentionally to meet people. What are some places that you already go, and what if you could bring some intentionality to it? So actually get to know people. Maybe let's do this. I'm going to break it down to three different applications, and we're going to close. Because here I said, we've got all these different places, but what do you do with it? It's going to be super simple, but I think it'd be powerful if you really let the Lord lead in this. And obviously, we can't touch on every situation that you're ever going to encounter, but let me give you some general guidelines that I found to be useful. So when you go to that next place, if it's after if lunch today, wherever you go, Start with this. Number one, show. Show. And everybody goes into, what are you showing people? Your actions and attitude show a lot about who you're devoted to. So a couple things you can consider doing. How about when you go and that waiter or waitress or the cashier, remember their name and use their name. Call them by their name. There's something powerful about remembering someone's name. I see it all the time. Again, those places that I frequent, I remember names, and when you say their name, it touches them in a unique, special way. Names are powerful. How about being patient and kind even when they don't get your order right? It's crazy talk, right? What if? What if we don't act like everyone else when things don't go right? Or they're even rude to you. How about complimenting someone for their service? Just showing gratitude or thankfulness to someone that, man, if anyone ever been in customer service? I think everyone should be in customer service at some point to get an appreciation of what that looks like dealing with people. Why bring that up? Because bring a compliment. Gratitude is a breath of fresh air to that person who's been suffering because of people all day long. 
What if we brought a different attitude with our action? And being thankful for those around you and say it. So think about how, what that looks like to show something different because of the love of Christ that compels us. We show something different. And people are watching. So what are you showing them? So let's start with show. As we go, are we showing Christ or are we showing more of ourselves? Number two, serve. So we show, how about we serve? Serve like Christ. What would that look like where we went this week? Maybe it would be whole, simply holding the door open for someone. This is crazy. How about allowing someone to go ahead of you in line? I know. That's crazy. There ain't nobody cutting it in front of me. How about picking up something someone dropped? I mean, these are very basic things. You can think of a thousand different situations, but what if we had the heart of showing the love of Christ by serving like Christ served, even though it may be inconvenient, dare I say awkward, because it's going to be awkward because no one else around anymore thinks about others as more important than themselves, but those who follow Christ are called to. Does that make sense? So if we went showing a different action and attitude and looking for opportunities to serve those around us. So show, serve, and finally, share. Share. It's been said people don't care what you know until they know that you care, right? You heard that? People don't care what you know until they know that you care. It's so true. And so many times we try and rush into a gospel conversation for those who share the gospel, but what if we took the time to show, serve, and then share? I'll give you one story, and the gentleman that will be un- unnamed, but with a few weeks ago at a local restaurant, this guy walks out and sees this young lady, young 20-something. It was around like 5, 6 o'clock at night on the sidewalk. Here in the West End, you don't see too many homeless people in the West End. Pretty fluent area. And she was just laying down, got her blanket, her backpack, and looked to plan like she was going to go to sleep. And so this guy walks over and says, are you okay? So there's that simple question. We already see, what is that showing? Right? Showing you actually care to take a minute to see if someone's okay. So this young lady responded, she goes, yeah, recently got kicked out of my house, I don't have a place to stay tonight. Okay. Well, that moment that the guy was thinking about, I don't know what to do with that. And so he goes back into his car and thinks about it for a minute, just is compelled to get her a hotel room. And so he, without talking to her, he goes in orders, reserves a hotel room and orders an Uber to take her to the hotel room. And so then he goes and gives her all information and obviously thankfulness is an understatement, right? So already we see showing, serving, and then he shares why. He shares the hope of the gospel. That there's a God who desperately loves us this young lady, and longs for her to know him. 
And ultimately, the love of Christ compelled this man to do this because God loves her and then shares the hope of the gospel. So what does that look like? I wonder if we can slow down for a minute in our crazy lives to actually show, share, serve, and share those around us. I wonder if we're missing movements of God all around us because we're so busy, because we've got to get to point A or point B. I told my wife this week as we were driving up to D.C. that I'm so task-oriented that I don't enjoy the journey. I'm ready to get to the place. I wonder if that same type of mentality hurts seeing God move. That we miss the journey to get to the destination and we bypass so many people along the way that God's already working in. And we're missing movements of God and to God to radically bring hope and save those around us. What if we went to our work, restaurants, schools, to get paid, education, to eat, but also to see where God's moving and to join, join in there. I'm going to tell you this. I'll start with praying. Praying. Praying before you go in. God, how might you use me? And then be ready. I think many of us don't pray that prayer because we're afraid that God might actually use you. Because it's uncomfortable, right? It's scary. Like, people may be offended or different things. And you know what? As many times as I've shared the gospel, I've yet to have someone even come close to being angry. But ask questions. Care about the person. The person's not a project. That's a soul for eternity that God cares for and died for. How would that shape our lives? God has called you to places for a greater purpose than what we typically go to the places for. What would it look like to join him this week in those places? Finally, as we close, just a reminder that as we talk through some of the things. I know when you're in a group this size that there's many that know a lot about Christ and don't know Christ. And so as we see here, I plead, if you're in that state, to stop trusting yourself and start trusting in the God who loves you dearly as a good father who desires for you to know him and to be known by him. Be reconciled. Because we're all enemies at one point until Jesus stepped in and did something about it. And usually, if you remember your story, is a person and a place. Well, this person in this place is calling you to respond by faith in Jesus right now. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2 says, Working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive God's grace in vain. It says, See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. It's a reminder that we always put things off. Yeah, I hear you, and just not ready. I got to get this cleaned up, or I want to get this question answered. And I'm going to tell you, stop making excuses. Just like Ananias, all these excuses. Stop making excuses. There is a God who loves you, and has done everything for you, and he longs for you to come to him, and it starts now, by faith. And for those who know that, we need to be reminded of the gospel. We have forgot the love that God has for us, and we have forgotten what it felt like to love him back. I wonder how many times, when's the last time you just prayed to Jesus, Jesus, I love you? I had this question asked me this week. Jesus, I love you. When's the last time you said that? Men? Hardly said to our wives, huh? How about Jesus? Jesus, I love you. I think rarely because we forget the love that Jesus has for us. 
So this is what we're going to do, and we do every Sunday. I'm going to invite you to respond. So I'm going to invite our band to come back up, and we're going to sing one last song. But I'm asking you to respond to what the Holy Spirit's doing inside of you. Whatever that may be. And so as we sing this song, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. But I'm going to ask you to respond as the Lord would have you to respond. That may be just sitting there continuing to praying to what God's dealing with you in. Maybe there's some areas in your life that you've seen that you strayed from God, and you're not following God, and I've lost, maybe fallen a little bit disconnected away from God, even though you are his, and you are his child, yet you have stumbled. It's time to come back. Maybe for the first time you've realized you know a lot about God, but have missed God. It's time to surrender. Whatever that may be, I'm asking you to respond. Maybe it's time for you to start seeing your life on mission. A life of worship that we're talking about this, this, this year. A life of worship spent focusing on him where we go in the places and people. Whatever God's doing, I'm going to ask you to respond. So let's pray, and then we're going to sing, and we'll have a prayer team that we'd love to pray with you and pray for you, but let's respond to what God's doing in this place. Father, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for your just who you are and your presence with us. We thank you for remembering the goodness of your grace as you've called us to yourself in those, those times that we weren't walking with you. Whether young or older, there was a moment in life that we did not know you, yet you stepped in in a place and through people to draw us and call us to yourself. And we're so thankful for your goodness of your grace. And now while we're helpless, ungodly sinners, enemies, you stepped in and saved us to yourself. And now we're child, child called by you. Dearly loved, holy, righteous because of your righteousness. Father, help us to see you more clearly. And help us to see those around us as you see them and start breaking our hearts for the lostness and the hopelessness for those that are around us in the areas where we work, live, and play, all the places that you send us. Break our hearts. Help us to take a moment and just to see people in the sea of lostness that's around here. You placed us in this West in this church. You placed us individually in our lives for a greater purpose than groceries or a paycheck. Break our hearts and send us. Help us to see that we have the joy and the privilege to be ambassadors of the one true God. Father, we thank you, Lord. Compel us by your love to respond and to live a life worthy of who you are. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.